1: buy beer at the beer store yeah and i picked a beer Uh dogfish Dogfish head 75 minute which tastes like 90 minute but doesn't hurt completely knock you out (laughs) for the entire next 24 hours Uh uh-huh and she told me that they don't make it anymore oh no and I'm like, that's fine, but why do I need to know? <laughs> 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 I don't know if this is the interest of the podcast. It's just a thing that happened.
0: Welcome over to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And sometimes you just got to know when a thing's going to go away, Andrew. You just got to yes. like taste the ephemeralness and relish it mm-hmm. and know
1: you'll never have it again. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. like Is that was she trying to make me happy like oh you got you got it you got it in there before they'd stop i
0: think that's probably what she was or trying to was do or was
1: she trying to say like enjoy this now because nothing lasts <laughs> nothing, gold nothing can gold stay, can
0: stay. <laughs> um maybe uh, she's probably doing both okay i trust her she probably yeah. she didn't want to disappoint future you but she wanted to make present you happy
1: i've got it. yeah you you know be in the moment yeah. Don't get stuck there. Carpe
0: Biram, welcome to our book podcast no. where <laughs> one of us reads a book and tells the other one about it. Um, I have not read this week's book, but Andrew did. What is this week's book?
1: I read The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. Great. Before the sequel we... to The Handmaid's Tale, Great. also by Margaret Atwood.
0: Oh, <laughs> glad that it's also by Margaret Atwood. And not Sometimes people
1: else. write sequels to stuff that they didn't originally write.
0: J.J. <clears throat> Abrams. Um, <laughs> so uh, before we talk about the book I do want to talk about the the prequel to this podcast which is when it, our 2014 episode about the handmaids tale we um, don't
1: it sounds the audio quality is it's
0: fine <laughs> it's fine <laughs> it's fine it's it's like mildly not as good as what we have now it's fine mm. um, the the content quality gets better pretty good like 10 minutes in Andrew did take time nice. to tell me about a pie crust that he made the secret was ooh. sour cream ooh that sounds good we spent five minutes
1: talking about the long pen okay which do you long, remember well, what that is? can you tell me about it in less than five minutes <laughs> because if you can't I'm not interested it's, in hearing about it
0: it's digital robot signature technology that Atwood oh, was an adopter yeah. of
1: yes. yeah no I, I believe at the time <laughs> I came down on it not being as good as a regular autograph and now my opinions have hardened more and it's like that's if somebody tried to give me robot Atwood's signature instead of real Atwood, I would send it back.
0: Sure. Yes. Um you this also is,
1: this is this is wrong. Send it
0: back. You also said uh, about the book. Neither of us had really really knew anything about the book. You said I knew the name of it without knowing anything else about it. End quote. That was which 2014
1: seems, was a different Yeah. Time. And so that
0: that might be an undercurrent of of this episode. I'll s i will I will be interested to hear your reaction to the book because for me,
1: something happened in 2016. I don't know what it was. Yeah, so and, things that have things that have happened since we recorded our episode yeah. about the handmaid's tale is uh women's rights and especially reproductive rights have uh, come under attack from many different Increasing sides. mostly, attack, let's say. mostly yes. the States, yeah. which was something that had already begun happening at the time, but it feels way more precarious yes. now for mm-hmm. for reasons related to elected and unelected offices. Here in America, yes. Um, and then also Hulu decided, hey, we do TV now, too. We make our own, and it's The Handmaid's Tale, and we have it. And here's three seasons of it, and it also, like the audio quality from <laughs> our Handmaid's Tale episode, is fine <laughs>
0: it's fine yes so,
1: I so I watched the first ep- the first season of that uh, TV me show which is a pretty a fairly straightforward adaptation of the book with a little bit of embellishment here and there um, and then the first few episodes of season two and a common criticism of that show and why I stopped watching is that um, at a certain point it does just kind of become tortured porn a little bit mm-hmm. like you have to watch poor uh poor Alfred go through a lot of like she escapes and is recaptured and is humiliated but then is empowered but then is humiliated again it's just it gets it got pretty miserable and in like 2017 2018 when i dropped out of it it was just not the energy i was looking for in my entertainment
0: (laughs) And there is the New York Times review of this book, uh, The Testaments, which we'll be talking about. Uh, Michiko Kakutani for the New York Times just kind of pointed out something that I remember being an inherent tension of the TV show, which is the original book offered is like she's a witness to a lot of stuff and is bearing witness to a lot of stuff. And the book is really like in as much as there's a plot, there's also it's just a record of what happened to her. And a TV show like really wants that character to be active and do stuff. And it's just right, yeah. it's like, harder th- to square that circle.
1: Yeah, it's the um in the book, she's much more it's much more like what does it look like when a yeah, when a when a typical person who like doesn't really who isn't really that invested in causes who just kind of live in their life day to day when they go through this like huge political change. And get thrown into this totalitarian regime. What what do they do? How do they react? Yes. And there are acts of resistance there. But mostly it's an account of surviving. And doing what you have to do to survive. The TV show by necessity. Because like character development. And this is just what happens when you have a TV show. That can last for as many seasons as people decide to watch it. Um, she offered has to evolve as a character. And that means pushing back harder and becoming, yeah, more of a more of a driver of the narrative rather than like an experiencer of it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm sure we'll get a little bit into that. I think there's some stuff about this book's genesis in particular that I was surprised was like even kind of loosely connected to the show. Um, yeah, like
1: last last thing to talk about about the show real quick is sure. just um Atwood says that the this book and the show were kind of created not to contradict each other at, at the very least. Like one's not necessarily taking off of the other though. I think the people who run the show have said as things go, we may begin to incorporate more things that happen into the book, into the show. Cause there, there is some overlap, but this book takes place like 15 ish years, like a decade and a half after mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the events of the handmaid's tale. And the show obviously is taking event, uh, taking place at the same time and then directly after. Um, yes. Yes. And she she and then, credits yeah.
0: um, Anne Dowd's performance as Aunt Lydia as like part of her other other factors being what they are part of like what made her interested to return to that character in this book.
1: Yeah, my um, understanding in the show is that. T- Aunt Lydia was driven to do horrible things because some man spurned her, which is not like my favorite creative decision, mm, but the mm. the version of it we get in this book is a little bit more nuanced, and I, I enjoyed it more. But just the the overarching thing to say about this book, I think, is it is more explicitly action-y. Like the mm. the people who are in it are all driving the narrative a little bit more. Um, I was talking. We were we had recorded a, an episode. Uh, the other night with Kate Raculia of, uh, I don't know, of book fame. Of writing books. <laughs> of writing books fame. <laughs> and she asked what I'd thought of it, and I'd compared it to the Breaking Bad Netflix movie that came out yeah, uh, yeah. in October, El Camino, in that it's a thing that I really enjoyed that didn't really need to exist for the like original work to sure. maintain its impact, which is yes. which is in itself kind of an accomplishment because – you can have a reboot or an after the fact sequel that does tarnish the truth. Original We've work. talked about some is, of them, yes, and, and that is not something that happens here. But yeah, I just framing the discussion we're going to have. I enjoyed it. I think it's worth reading, but I don't think it's gonna. People aren't going to be talking about this in thirty years the way we talk about The Handmaid's Tale now. Like it, it's a. It'll be a
0: footnote. Bold statement to from that. Andrew.
1: Yeah, like just hit me in thirty years, and we'll see if I'm right or not. But. I think it will be a, a footnote to the discussion that we'll, we'll still be having about The Handmaid's Tale and not necessarily a self-contained thing. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: I, I mean, I that makes sense as your take. I get it. Yes. I mean, we don't live I'm 30 asking. years I'm from not now, asking so you to know.
1: agree or disagree. Sure. Does my logic follow?
0: Um, if For any listener who doesn't really know who Margaret Atwood is, congratulations. You've somehow survived Without knowing that, I don't know. She's
1: Canadian, Canadian book lady. So, let me do the quick
0: rundown. She was born in 1939 in Ottawa. I feel like I did it already. She's got degrees from Victoria College, Radcliffe College. Her major works include The Handmaid's Tale, Cat's Eye, which was a 89 Booker finalist, Alias Grace, The Blind Assassin, which won the Booker in 2000, The Madame Trilogy, uh, Oryx and Crake, which my
1: autocorrect made orly and Crake. i don't know what that is that's my favorite tbs superstation mm-hmm. buddy cop show yep it's oryx and Craig. oryx and Crake. it's on right after franklin and bash yes uh this book went on to win the co-won the
0: 2019 booker prize um, with Bernadine everisto's girl woman other uh, i was surprised i had not heard that i don't know how i missed that um and in the tradition of random project Like the long pen that Margaret Atwood has worked on. Um, Another thing that she's contributed to is the Future Library Project, which is in Norway, where they're taking a manuscript from an author each year from 2014 to 2114. And they planted a thousand trees that they're going to use for the paper a hundred years from now um, to print it to be like environmentally conscious or whatever. And in my brain, I heard this story a few years ago, and when I went around to think about it again, I thought it had turned into Margaret Atwood buried a book in the woods that we were gonna like dig up and 100 it'll grow years into a,
1: bo- a literature tree.
0: And it's sort of like that. Um, I do think there's an interesting resonance between that project and her idea of like what it would be like to read a book a hundred years from now with the thing that's in The Handmaid's Tale, which I think we might revisit in this book, where it's this text in in fiction it is the like audio diaries of a woman who lived through this christian theocracy and surveillance Mm -hmm. state Mm -hmm. and then there's like an epilogue where 200 years hence there are people at an academic conference like debating if if this is a good source or what what have we learned from it yada 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 yada
1: well and also it it casts doubt on the veracity perspective and and authorship because not only are they talking about the, I don't know the, the standard troubles you are going to have when you are trying to verify the authenticity of this sort of thing. But it also is fairly clear that the what you've just read has been filtered through this sort of mm. condescending male lens. Like I, I read a lot about this when I was researching for this episode. Okay, um, because there is another epilogue in. The Testaments, that is the same sort of thing. Sure. It's like after the fact, like sort of academic detachment stuff. And so, yeah, I was reading about how people respond to that little after the fact epilogue. And it really can just either you can sort of ignore it and take Offred's account at face value, which is, I think, what I prefer to do, or it can completely change you, the reader's relationship to the entire work, which (laughs) it's
0: <laughs> it's so apparently in twenty seventeen there was an there was an audiobook, like reissue of the Handmaid's Tale that I think had like and reading Aunt Lydia and some other people in yeah, it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um she added some like additional questions to that final epilogue, and a few of them end up teasing that there are other documents from the era which turn into what this book becomes. So that's kinda yeah. like she was clearly working on this book when she Decided to write that text um, and get it out there in audiobook form. Um, I think that's enough background for anybody who hasn't listened to it. It's episode eighty-seven. If you want to go find what we thought about it in twenty fourteen, um, but let's Andrew take a break and then you can tell me about the testaments. Hey Andrew, do you like music? Yes. How do you find music? I find it quite good. Thank you. You're so funny. You're so funny, I'm going to reward you with information about this week's one of our sponsors. Uh, This is actually from one of our Patreon supporters, Amanda, and her co-hosts at Discord and Rhyme. Discord and Rhyme is a music podcast where the hosts discuss their favorite albums, song by song. Eight rotating co-hosts, four at a time, take turns choosing a classic or favorite album and talk about it uh, track by track including background information about the band, making of the album, and how they all discovered it in the first place. They don't like to restrict themselves by genre or era and so far they've covered rock soul hip-hop prog yes prog and more Um, they're available on itunes stitcher all the other podcatchers like google play and episodes come out every other tuesday their most recent episodes are on the grateful dead's american beauty and rio by duran duran that is a good album i do like rio
1: (laughs) (laughs) they've also got so they've they've got the velvet underground and nico uh which it's said that at the time nobody bought it, but everybody who did started a band. Mm. And then right after they that they've got hysteria by Def Leopard, which I don't <laughs> think they say I don't think everybody who bought that one started a band, but if they if if that had happened, man it would be horrible. Like think of think about the <laughs> carnage. Well if I'm
0: I won't say that it would be horrible. It would just be different, let's it would say. Be very
1: different. Go
0: to discord. discordpod.com for more info. That's discordpod.com or, or follow them at discordpod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you want a cool music fix every other Tuesday. Andrew, Webster's defines testament... Well, As a tangible proof or tribute, an expression or, of conviction, or an act by which a person determines the disposition of his or her property after death, or a covenant between God and the human race. Choose y- wisely.
1: <laughs> this is all very interesting. Can I have the first definition
0: again? A tangible proof or tribute slash an expression of conviction or creed.
1: Yeah, let's call it that one. Okay. This is, about, this is that kind of testament. Tell me more. All right, so the testaments. Let's compare it to The Handmaid's Tale. Great, right away. Shall we? <laughs> uh, the Handmaid's Tale was mostly the account of one person. It was Offred. She was a handmaid who lived in this society called Gilead. If you are not familiar with the books, uh, I can't imagine why you'd still be listening, but um, Gilead is this. It It is part of the former United States of America in this society, like a fundamentalist Christian sect, yep. has blown up Congress, taking control of the country. Not all of the country, but a big chunk of it, mostly on the East Coast. Um, this is in response, partly to like a steep decline in the birth rate mm-hmm. and a desire to like increase that. But their their desire to increase that just happens to completely like disempower all women and make them essentially like walking wombs. Like the yes. the, the ones who even still have like functioning reproductive organs. Um, and of course, like the men, like they there's no, there's, there's no such thing as a man who is not sterile. So if a woman can't get pregnant, of course it's all the man's fault because that's the way the society works. Yes. Correct. Um, In that. So world. a handmaid is sort of at the bottom of this system They are women who have already had a kid like before the fall of the U.S. and the establishment of Gilead or they're just like thought to be fertile. Mm -hmm. And they are assigned to families. They're given names um, that are derived from the patriarch of that family. So Offred is of Fred, uh, the, the commander's name being Fred. And they do this weird ritualistic sex thing where the commander's like wife is there, like his is wife in the eyes of God. If you if you wanna, is there? But the commander is actually having sex with the handmaid because that's who is gonna get pregnant. Yeah. Um, and then also, so you, we've talked about the commanders a little bit. We've talked about the wives a little bit. Like wives have a little bit more power and agency than handmaids, but not really. Um, in between handmaids and wives are Marthas, who are sort of hired help maids, essentially. Um, and then you've also got at the at the top of the hierarchy of women in this society are the ants, um, who sort of manage the handmaids and other, like women's issues so that men don't have to sully their hands doing it. Um, and ants aren't, like they don't have a ton of power, but they are allowed to read and write, which most other women in the society are not allowed to do. And they do, you know, to, to the extent that any women have power in the society, ants have it. Yes. Um, the aunt that you run into mainly in the Handmaid's Tale is Aunt Lydia, and in that book, because she is an oppressor figure for Offred, she is, she is as close to a as an antagonist to an she's as close to an antagonist as that book has, I think. Yes. Except insofar as like Gilead and the society is the antagonist. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And and she like finds herself figure like the, the various men that she interacts with in that book nick the commander she never knows who to trust but they all like try to ply her with things at times and lydia is, is a is a foe to her the entire story
1: yeah 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 yeah. but even even as you so in, in the handmaid's tale even as you experience this oppressive society you also experience there are a lot of exceptions being made like um, yeah, yeah 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 for the the commander's wife, uh, Serena joy is her, is her name. Um, she, so men cannot be sterile like officially, but it is widely understood that sometimes when a handmaid can't get pregnant, it's because of that. And so maybe you just try a few different dudes and just see if you can get one to stick. And so there, yeah, there's like a chauffeur of that family, Nick, who is also, having sex with Offred in an attempt to impregnate her. And of course, if, if she were to get pregnant, it would be the commanders. Like everybody would say that was what had happened. But, um, yeah, it's like, it's this, everybody's lying. Nobody knows who to trust and it's just happening everywhere at every layer.
0: Yeah. And the way that that book is
1: constructed
0: because it's all from her perspective Whatever information she doesn't have, you don't have. So like there's a lot of ambiguity that is kind of weaponized at her throughout the book. And she kind of has to make her way with limited knowledge at all times, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a hallmark of the original story. And, And I think when you were talking earlier about how the epilogue can kind of reshape your feelings about the book, I think that's part of it is that like I think the narrative works very, very well within the blinders that Offred is forced to wear literally and figuratively. And mm. taking some of that away at least complicates things on purpose. Abwood's doing that on purpose, obviously.
1: Sure. Uh, so that's I think that's the main like background on the Handmaid's Tale, the book, and also Gilead, the setting that you need to really understand this. Um, so the Testaments is delivered. Handmaids don't really factor into it too much at all. Like you do encounter them. You do see some things, but nothing you don't see in the original book. Like there's that like ritualistic killing of men that the handmaids are allowed to do sometimes. Sure. Yeah. Um, to just kind of let their aggression out and like give them a place to put that. Very like so 10 they... second hate or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. so th- So that they don't, they don't, put it out in other places that would cause more trouble for Gilead as a society. Um, but you get it from, you get the testaments from three perspectives. You get, um, you get it from, uh, Daisy, who is a teenager living in Canada outside of Gilead. You get it from Agnes, who is a young woman who has been raised inside Gilead. And then you get it from aunt Lydia herself. Okay. Like the the more who is more the, who operates like I said more or less as a villain of the first book, and then in this one is presented as a more sympathetic figure, and and you get to know her motivations and like the the reasons why she acted the way she did, and we can we can talk about the efficacy. Like I don't I usually I don't know. Like where where do you where I are, are you, you to tell
0: me about each of these three people and like what okay. their deal is? I'm most I, if you want to know who I'm most interested in, it's the one who is raised inside Gilead because a big question mark for me of the original book is like they're going to they're planning to raise children in this society and how do the children move up through and into the caste system is a big uh-huh. question for me.
1: So this this hasn't actually our, our experience, like Susanna's experience as a pregnant woman and then as a new mom has actually been pretty good. But there is sort of a um truism about about society and how it treats pregnant women is like everybody is very interested in your well-being when you are pregnant. Mm. And then once you are no longer pregnant, you are just an annoying woman who brought a screaming baby onto a plane. You know, mm-hmm. like the, it, it becomes the the result of a person being pregnant inspires less uh concern and goodwill amongst your fellow humans I guess okay um so it's it's kind of the same here is a society really wants children to exist but then once they do and then once they grow up into people they are just people and they just have to be assimilated into the system somewhere mm. um so she as the her name again sorry Agnes, Agnes is the okay. daughter of, I mean, she's she is told she is the daughter of of a wife and a commander. Like she she is in one of the upper class families. There's another sort of caste in this society called the Econo families. Okay, who are people like they're not Icano like
0: Icano Lodge. You're saying yeah. Okay, they're,
1: they're just kind of like the lower the lower classes of people, the people who make like, the things parts happen. of the society yes. run, but they aren't in this official like. Wife, handmade, whatever system. Yeah, like the people. Then there's some mobility between those like classes of people, but uh, we're we're getting uh, the perspective of somebody who's been raised in sort of the upper class of of Gilead. Okay, in in Agnes, so she is. You know, we get we get uh, descriptions of her in school, like with the other children of commanders and and wives, and occasionally you'll get. Like, if there is a doctor or somebody who's really ingratiated himself with the ruling class, like, occasionally their kids will be allowed into these schools, too. But, of course, it'll be understood that they're not as, you know, they're not as good as yes. the people from, the like, the ruling families. Um, so her mother, the wife who is, she is told is her mother, passes away. And another, like, at, another woman comes in and... Their family gets a handmaid and they're trying to have another baby because this wife doesn't really see uh, Agnes as her daughter because she's somebody else's daughter, like literally and like adoptively. And so the focus, because she's not like wanted in this family and she has no place in this hierarchy is it's time, you know, it's time to marry her off. Maybe she can get pregnant. Maybe they'll need to get a handmaid, you know, whatever. But it's important to just get her out of here because we don't really want her in here anymore. Okay. Um, and so she is, she is being, I guess, shopped around to different commanders. There's, there's not really a nicer way to know. To no. And she, um, she, while this is happening, she encounters aunt Lydia and aunt Lydia says, you know, if you wanted to come and join the ants, so you wouldn't have to get married. If if one were to want to do this, <laughs> this is you know this is kind of who you should talk to and what you should say and um, because the answer the the people who teach these classes like they're, they're yeah. sort of in, in charge of this stuff. Um,
0: is she is Agnes allowed to read? She's not allowed to read. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. Okay,
1: no, not until she. So she she really doesn't want to be married. Like there's this guy Commander Judd who is a huge creepo. Great. Um, who we, we get a few different perspectives on him. Like, he is, he and Aunt Lydia are like work together more or less, but he also is this guy who likes to marry super young women, not always women, even. Mm. And because divorce is not legal in Gilead, like many of the wives that he gets die mysteriously once they get a little too old. Of course. Like you would um, do. So, yeah. So she is, she is being. Uh, chopped around to this guy and so she she comes and she you know does the right things and she gets she becomes an ant or like an ant in training huh okay and there's a you get you don't get a ton of world building stuff for gilead that i don't think you got in the original handmaid's tale but there are little touches and one of the touches is that new ants in this like later phase of gilead where women who have been brought up totally within the society are being made into ants they're allowed to choose from a pre-selected list of names, and the list of names is often like brands, like old brands. No, like you, you could be Aunt Maybelline no. if you wanted to.
0: <laughs> God, that sucks so hard. I, mean, I
1: thought that was pretty funny though.
0: Well, yeah, because like, oh my God, Aunt
1: Victoria, like Victoria's Secret. Oh, jeez.
0: Well, and there's like an insidious quality to like reappropriating. Capitalist branding into your theocracy, so that it's and like it's also like, the, it like and...
1: yeah, well, and it's like the older ants also having like a little bit of a, a joke oh, that the okay. younger people don't even realize, like oh, you're named after like middle shelf makeup that everybody just saw ads for all the time.
0: That's yeah, okay, because th- there's like, a like real i would love clear... to, I'd
1: love to run into like <laughs> ant head and shoulders. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, because there's like a real clear information, like dividing line, right? Where we have this generation of Aunt Lydia who remember the before times and have made whatever choices they made to get where they are, or not choices, etc. And now you talk got, about that. Yeah, and now you've yes, got folks sorry. who are like, "Well, this is all I know, so I guess I'm Maybelline now."
1: Yeah. Hmm. Um. So, Agnes is both uh, Daisy and Agnes are delivering what is what is described as witness testimony. So, you're getting the. And I'm I'm I guess I'm of two minds about this, and I feel the same way about the little bits at the at, at the at the Handmaid's Tale too. Is it sort of? It tells you that the thing that you just read. It it tells you how it ends, or like what the ultimate consequences of it are. So you're getting witness testimony from these people. Obviously, they are ex—they are external to Gilead. Whatever they, oh, really? Whatever they, whatever they are telling you now, it's because they are out of Gilead and they're talking to other people.
0: So, okay, so it is not like that's the- made—that's
1: made clear right from the beginning. Is Agnes is like, I'm gonna—I know that Gilead is bad, and I'm gonna tell you things as they occurred to me. But if I sound nostalgic for this, or if I make some of it sound comforting or good it is because i was a child and this is what i remember from childhood and that's fascinating so this is this is just the society that i knew okay
0: okay um, that's a good wrinkle to know in terms of what the setup is because
1: that's that- the main difference between agnes and and daisy is like one is they are both affiliated with gilead as we'll talk about in a little bit but one is one is on the inside kind of looking in after getting out and one has been on the outside this entire time but spends a little time inside okay and so, like gets and, a
0: taste and bit, what is the like setup or conceit of whatever Lydia's point of view she is, is
1: she is it's more like Alfred. she is chosen to record some events because she believes I mean she is setting in motion some events that will cause the uh, as Atwood put it in an, in an interview I think uh, like the the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end of Gilead like we know Gilead ends because of these little uh, footnotes that we get at the end of these books but how does it happen well that's that is what Aunt Lydia's story is kind of about
0: okay so there is there's a thing that she has said about this book in particular and you look back at why she may have put the afterword in handmade and she has written into this fictional universe an end to Gilead, which I think for her, she refers to this book a lot as having a lot of hope in it, or mm-hmm. that at least the this thing that Lydia has done, that Aunt Lydia has done, has inherent qualities of hoping in it, like to leave this type of testimony Implies that you like think that someone can do something with it later or that by expending energy in this way, it will be worth it down the line. So what is Mm -hmm. Lydia
1: up to? So what you get, I mean, and this is this is what I wanted to ask you earlier is like, I I don't know. Sometimes I think letting a villain have a rich interior Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. is interesting from a story percept- perspective and sometimes you just end up wrecking your villain. So
0: you, you want to talk like about I, the movie Joker right now is what you're no,
1: saying. No, no no no. I don't want I was I'm actually joking. thinking about the Borg a little bit oh, because sure. the like the early TNG Borg where they are
0: Those guys are scary as hell. This
1: like force of nature that cannot be reasoned with versus like the voyager borg where they're just like another race and they have like one person who you can bargain with who controls them and it's just like not not that big a deal but you also understand more about like where they came from and and who they are i think that the empathy route is probably like the realer route like everybody has motivations (laughs) for for who they are and why they did stuff but if you're talking about a work of fiction and like narrative efficacy. Sometimes I think it's easier to just
0: have a bad guy.
1: Yeah. It's easier. Just like, like there was a reason why before Nazis came back that <laughs> like in the, in the eighties, nineties, two thousands, why, if you just wanted to make a video game villain that nobody would sympathize with, you made them Nazis. And yeah. It's because yeah.
0: So, so Lydia's an interesting case then. Right. And I'll, I don't know, this is my own take on it. Not knowing this book. Right. Like, she set up a thing. Love in-
1: an uninformed, no, sh- uneducated. Stop. Shut thing. up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> she,
0: she set up the original book with Lydia in it so that you could consider how and why a woman would choose to rise to power or be forced to along the way and then make some choices along the way, choose not to resist, choose to buy into the system um, so t- for survival versus what Offred does and does not choose to do. And is, and it is and is not forced to do. Um, and like, I don't know, that gives me, as I recall pondering that book and working on that book, like you get enough. I don't know. I felt like I had enough empathy for her, perhaps of just like I could imagine what got her there and I can be really upset with the results. And I don't know necessarily if I would have asked Margaret Atwood ever to go back and be like, tell me more.
1: I don't I don't know if you if you only read the Handmaid's tale, I don't know that you come away from that with a lot of sympathy. I'm not Aunt saying Lydia. sympathy. Yeah, like, I'm like not it, saying does, sympathy, it does it does it does suggest an interior yeah totally. life for her.
0: In the same way that I in the same way that there are the passages with Serena Joy where you're like, You are a terrible person, but I can see how your fear that you not having a child will end your life and your existence, you are doing terrible things to terrible to people to make that happen. Like I'm, again, I'm not like saying I come out of that book going, Yeah, Lydia. I'm just saying like I can imagine her inner life. I felt I felt satisfied with the whatever imaginative access I had to her based on
1: that book. Well, so the testament is definitely hoping that you'll come out of it with yeah, Aunt Lydia. Oh no, <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> because she—I mean, she ultimately brings this, this society down because, it, huh? Okay, so we let's what do we're it. Talk about first. Let's talk about Aunt Lydia. Yeah. You get flashbacks to the before time. And this is the only time you really, like, in the Handmaid's Tale and in the TV show, you get you get flashbacks to the before time because it's. Gilead is pretty young and Alfred existed as an adult human in the before time and so you get like truly before and you get like a during and you get like a later during um, you get so in the handmaids tale there's this there's this the turning point I guess is when you know Congress gets blown up and then they go and they take every like every woman's bank account every woman who owns anything and they just take all that property away from them yes. and that's the that's the thing and then after that they start like going to workplaces and rounding all the women up so when you like the earliest you get Aunt Lydia is this phase where oh, she okay. is she is a she's a judge i think and she is she's kind of rounded up and she's put into this stadium with tons and tons of other women and and there are all kinds of you know bad things happening sure um, and she is portrayed in this book as, as a pragmatist, I think. First and foremost. Okay. Prag- pragmatist slash survivor, I think is, is the way that, that Atwood wants us to see her. Like she, she looks around and she sees what is happening around her and she says, you know, I, I could resist this, but then I get crushed and killed. mm so maybe I go along with it because I know where which way the winds are blowing, and I live to fight another day. And maybe later I can, I can do something about this later from inside whatever the nude system
0: is. Okay, okay. And I don't. Want, yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I truly don't. I, I I feel like personally that trying to work from inside the system like way too often just corrupts you, and you end up not doing the as much good as you kind of see yourself wanting to do. Like, I, I think that decision is maybe made more out of a self-preservation instinct. And yeah. then you kind of add that yes. noble tint to it later to help justify it to yourself in the book. It's obvious that she made the right decision. Like she, it is good that this, you know, in the only group of women who have any power at all in this society, she came up to the top of it and she, she, you know, schemed her way up to the top of it, and she's going to use that for good to like take the society down and from is within. It, can I can like I ask? That is, is, it... that is that is how the book does it, and it's a good thing and and great. I'm just saying that in in real life, I don't know if it works that
0: well. Way in real life, often. we all do this, right? Because we yeah, are yeah, because yeah. we are all still do most of us. But the
1: st- just the stakes aren't this high, you know. Yes.
0: Per- yeah, yeah. Um, what? So a question I have is is there stuff in this book that is like aunt Lydia is specifically the right person who possesses the right skills or abilities or insight to like set these things in motion. Cause that's a thing that we talked about. Like Alfred is just a person in the book mm-hmm. in the handmaid's tale. Mm-hmm. Do you know?
1: Is I mean, like, yeah, I, I guess I get what you're saying. I mean, uh, she is because she is a judge. She is kind of used to hearing the arguments and, And doing what she can with the, with the data available and making the best decision available to her at the, at the time. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And so those skills serve her well in, you know, as she's trying to play people off each other and trying to decide, you know, here's, here's when I'm meek. Here's when I push. Okay. Here's how I lie to people to make them believe a thing. Cause I'm sure as a judge, you learn to be an amazing
0: poker player of lies in oh, particular well, sure. okay. like you you, too, you yeah. hear
1: you hear all kinds of people saying all kinds of stuff for all kinds of reasons <laughs> sure that's <laughs> not like explicitly laid out in the book but i'm just the book presents her life experience as part of the reason why she's here and so i'm just kind of yeah okay inferring for okay. there yeah
0: okay um how does our third character our canadian outside the system Factor into this. We haven't talked about she her at all.
1: She is she is uh, brought up with these you know these people in Canada, and she doesn't she loves them, but she I don't I don't think she really thinks of them as her parents, or she's like not really close to them. But they run like this consignment store in Canada, and all the time, like all these people are coming in and out of the place without really buying anything, and they're sort of shady. and you know what's going on? I don't know. Just it's grown up stuff, whatever. <laughs> okay. And then she goes to like this anti- Gilead protest, and she's on TV and a couple days later her parents the car is blown up. Oh, And so throughout this book, you hear about this figure and i I believe this person exists in the show too. We can talk about the links between the show and the first book and this one uh, as we wrap up, but um heard so so we hear these stories about this this figure named baby Nicole baby Nicole is this is this baby who was smuggled out of Gilead many years ago and the Canadian government refuses to give her back and so she is this sort of rallying point for both like Canadian resistance people and for Gilead because she like represents everything that the other side is is doing wrong
0: it's like baby Elion or whatever yeah
1: okay yeah, and she so Daisy talks about, like, oh, Baby Nicole, I hate Baby Nicole. I had to do a paper on her in school, and I got a C <laughs> on it because I didn't care. And, <laughs> and it turns out, hey, she is Baby Nicole.
0: Oh, dip. Okay. That's the deal.
1: Because she, you know, and so she appeared on TV, and she, and so she was, she blew her cover, basically, um, because I guess they have good enough computer aging software that they still know what Baby Nicole no- looks like. Mm-hmm. Um. so she gets picked up by Mayday is the yes. the sort of resistance group from the first book that makes a return in this one and she you know there are friends of her parents who are in Mayday like she is told all about how her parents were big for Mayday big wigs and that's why they always had people in their consignment store in and out all the time like it, it, it's pretty clear to you as the reader pretty early on that that's what's happening but you need to uh, go through Daisy the journey only, of her learning it or yeah whatever. she only she only learns about this in the moment and um. So May Day folks that sort of pick her up and take her into hiding after her adoptive parents are killed um, tell her that they've got a source inside Gilead and she needs to go inside, pick up some like documents or something, like something that will be super damaging to Gilead and she needs to get them out. Um, Okay. And so she – there's this – program the it's they're called the pearl girls they're basically these people from within gilead like they're ants in training who go out into other countries and try to recruit women and bring them
0: back that's the thing that the show talked about like the show as i recall explored even just a tiny bit like the idea that gilead has to represent itself to the outside world that is not explored in the book at all because you have no access to that like part of the world building and is an interesting. Like consideration on Atwood's part, like how would a a theocracy like this, a closed theocracy, actually interact with the outside global like marketplace?
1: Yeah, you do get you do get that in the show a bit, especially, and it's the show. I, I felt that this was one of the more interesting things that the show did. Is like other governments are also having this uh, birth rate problem, huh. and so. From the outside, there might be some temptation for some governments to see Gilead as a society that has figured it out. Like they, they have, they present this picture of this like regimented society that's doing bad things, but it's doing it for a good reason, and they have kids, and they can like trot the kids out in front of other societies, and like maybe this is how we beat the the problem. Did you know that... I think this was in the first season. There's like this whole...
0: There's like a showing off of the handmaids and like... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: And and just the way that they present that to the outside world is is much different.
0: I did not Um, know... um, In one of the interviews Atwood gave about the Testaments, she referenced some of her research even for the Handmaid's Tale. Because her whole thing on Handmaid's Tale, right, and I guess by extension Testaments, is it's always based on stuff that has happened in history. Like it's never... It's speculative fiction, not sci fi right that's what separates it from the Borg i guess in yeah your and, she, and she
1: says this is this is something that the show is respected to like I'm not sure how involved she is in the actual she says that of that. She i don't can, i don't think I don't think really i think she's she kind of is a she's in a sort of creative consultant position. She can maybe. express
0: opinions and they don't always have to listen, but they do sometimes. Um, yeah,
1: but the but the thing that the show has respected overall is like nothing can happen that has not happened yes. somewhere in human
0: history. Uh, I did not know apparently like the whole birth rate uh like banning and like encouraging pregnancy thing is based on in part on a thing called decree seven seventy, which is from the from Romania in the sixties and seventies. Their leader outlawed abortion and other contraception because the birth rate had just taken this huge dive mm-hmm. and then put in this decree which caused all sorts of havoc and people still found ways to circumvent it. But then it also created this generation of orphans where people didn't have the means to like care for the kids that they carried to term. It was just a mess.
1: Well, um, and, then, and then you look at the at governments coming fr- at it from the other direction. Like I think China's yeah, 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 yeah. biggest example where they, they tried to control population growth because their, the birth rate was too high And this leads to a thing where baby girls are just like literally abandoned because you want a son more than you want a daughter because of patriarchy. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, man. Like maybe government just get out. Shouldn't be, shouldn't be doing some stuff. I'm not a a libertarian on a lot of stuff, (laughs) but.
0: Um, you did say that this book had like explicit plot to it and you've just alluded to it with the like baby nicole gotta go in and get the papers how does that play when you compare it to the handmaid's tale which is like i think it's world building first and plot second
1: well so you so you get these you get these three different perspectives and for the first like three quarters of the book they're all circling around the same thing but they're all very different and then the the there is a point toward the end where you know agnes is in the school as an aunt in training but somebody has been feeding her like the actual official files about what's been happening in gilead like all the bad stuff that everybody who's leading that up has done Mm. um aunt lydia is sort of scheming to get baby nicole into gilead but then to get her back out okay and then daisy is is you know, going in to meet some source. The source ends up being Aunt Lydia. Like there, there is a scene where all three of them are in the same room and everything becomes clear to everyone. <laughs> and then the last quarter of the book or so is trying to avoid detection and then them like literally escaping. So it is much it is much more action oriented. It's like if, so The Handmaid's Tale, the, the story from Offred's perspective ends with her being like whisked into a van and then you don't hear from her again.
0: And you don't know... If the people, it's like Nick and some people.
1: Yeah, like they say they're part of this resistance or whatever, but also they could be part of like the eyes, like the secret yes. police who yes. who keeps everybody in the society down. And it's left to you, the reader, I guess, to just think about what to that, know what yeah. actually happened. Yeah, and so so the way the Testament ends is like, what if the Handmaid's Tale? told you that Alfred escaped and told you everything about her escape. And that was like the last (laughs) quarter of the book.
0: Okay. Um, how does that, like, is that satisfying?
1: It's fun. Like it's, it is a, it's an entertaining read. I enjoyed it, but it is, you know, it's doing a distinctly different thing from, from what the handmaid's tale was doing. Sure. Sure. Um, and then, you know, and, and so they, and, and then the other wrinkle that happens is, um, Agnes and Daisy find out that they are half sisters like they have the same mother. Mm. And then through that the sort of pseudo detached thing at the end, uh you are you are supposed to understand that Agnes is the daughter who got caught when Alfred was trying to flee okay into Canada. Um and she was, you know, she was brought up within Gilead as this person, and then Nicole is a baby that she had later, who was successfully smuggled out. Hmm. Um, so these are Offred's daughters, and then they're they are reunited with their like Mayday agitator mother, her their nameless Mayday agitator mother, <laughs> like right at the end of the book. And then the like the academic perspective at the end is like we can neither confirm nor deny, you know, there's no evidence that this isn't that they weren't Offred's kids and that Offred isn't real and that Aunt Lydia didn't do all this stuff. Like it's we, we don't know, but you know, it sure. could happen that way. Okay. But I think I think you, the reader, because you I don't know, because you come to a sequel to the handmaid's tale expecting there to be certain ties like i i I think you are you are meant to understand that this is the way yeah it's very deliberately
0: not like another story from the handmaid's tale universe right (laughs) like it is not because even though like it's like not the eu of star wars it's more like solo or i don't know like it's it is continuing a story (laughs) it is playing with characters that you already know it's not like just doing its own thing over here to shed more light It's not Rogue
1: One, A Handmaid's Tale story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not
0: that, no. (laughs) Because people make it out. That movie's a bummer at the end. Um, It's also a bummer that that movie had three directors.
1: I'm going to come out and say that that movie is the best thing that the Star Wars reboot series has done. Interesting. Including episodes 7 and 8.
0: Baby Yoda program is my pick.
1: Baby Yoda might be fine. I don't know. I haven't watched it yet.
0: Sure um okay well (laughs) now that we're talking about star wars um anything about the like any other nuggets of now that she's had 30 years to think about this type of society and how we have and have not moved away from it because i think that's a quote of hers instead of moving away from gilead we started moving towards it especially in the united states she said which is what is like she cites as one of her reasons to go back to this universe. she thought like, "Oh, I write this book, and then hopefully the world changes for the better and she has seen that it has not um anything else aside from, like the baby Nicole thing is an interesting observation of how like a character might become propaganda and hero story that people would rally around, any other world building stuff that struck you
1: i mean i was I was I was both surprised that the book didn't do more to like explicitly anchor this to our current like real world moment. Okay. But also kind of bummed out that the book didn't have to do very much at all Ugh. to automatically be anchored to our current yeah. moment, you okay. know, like it it's already there. Like the 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 political Satire and like the what ifness of it. I don't like it's not a sci fi thing because Atwood specifically bristles against that because she sees this as a thing that could happen, and in some ways, like it's not a thing that is happening, but it's a thing that's way, way, way too plausible. Yeah, and more now, and
0: and more plausible in the United States than it, more than it was thirty years ago. Like she was, I think, writing about. She just started writing the Handmaid's Tale while she was in West Berlin, like looking at Eastern Europe at but you know behind the yeah because Iron there's
1: Curtain. this there's this huge like fundamentalist yeah Christian flavor to the right wing in America that I don't think necessarily exists within the right wing governments that are coming into power elsewhere in the world like not not as strongly or as prominently and yeah that makes it kind of. It's uh, it's not great.
0: No, it's pretty not great. Okay, well, good to know that the book can still be the bummer that it's supposed to be, even if they escape. But it's
1: it's like it's it's not trying to be a bummer. Like this is this is something that Atwood says, and that re- multiple reviews of the of the book that I read say is it is it is a hopeful thing because it is it about pe- it's about people bringing this kind of system down. It's not sure. like The Handmaid's Tale is about this kind of system coming into existence, and then you get after the fact. Casual reassurance that somebody figured it out and this system doesn't exist anymore. Mm, mm. And testaments, like whether you think that trying to change a system from the inside is actually going to work or not, it is saying, you know, this isn't going to take care of itself. These are the people who are taking care of it and they do succeed. Okay. And that's, you know, that's a a hopeful message in a time of hopelessness, I guess. Yeah. I buy that.
0: Yeah, I buy that. Okay. Well, that's the testaments then. That's all of them.
1: I believe I have testified to the (laughs) things that happen in a book. So this is sort of my testament. Is this podcast? Yeah, that we do together.
0: Um, if you, our listeners, have any thoughts on this book or the Handmaid's Tale, or the Handmaid's Tale show, or whether or not Solo is good, um, I never or saw that movie. Or about the
1: Handmaid's Tale extended universe? Yes. Um, where I was, knew when Hulu bought it, they purged a lot of the the, the canon, like the all the, and canon people, from got, the people got comics got tossed yeah, people, out. Yeah, all the comic stuff, all the like the '90s books. Like people got really upset about it. Yeah, so.
0: it's weird um palpatine's in those um you can send us an email at overdue pot once dot we get
1: to lego handmaid's tale nope. i think we'll have to put it all away oh i think we'll gosh. have to be done
0: clean up our childish things um <laughs> you can hit us up online on social media at twitter.com slash overdue facebook or facebook.com slash overdue i wanted to shout out to people who followed us in the last few days including gonzo communist Rob, Kiki, Francie, Cassie, John, Libby, Sarah, Bela, Brandon, Gia, Brianna, and Maggie, as well as BuzzFeed user Tommy4Ada66609, who wrote about us for a roundup on BuzzFeed, which is pretty cool, ended their blurb with, quote, Oprah has even promoted it on one of her lists. So. Tommy69,
1: whatever your name is, I hope that you got paid for that post that you wrote. Yes. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Uh, Don't contribute to the click economy. Uh, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the
1: show, where should they go? They should go to overduepodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there, we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed. We're also available on Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts these days. Um, We've also got a link to our new listener page, which... We have not, it looks like, actually updated yet, but we have selected some new episodes that will be on that page, so just wait wait for that. Yeah. That's going to be exciting. Uh, We also have a link to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash overdue pod. Get bonus episodes early. Suggest books that we can read. uh, Have us read a spot for your project on the show, like we did earlier with the folks at Discord and Rhyme. Uh, These are all things that you can do through our Patreon page.
0: Yep. Next week, we are talking about Bailey School Kids Number 1 Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots uh, with Allie from the SSR podcast. Um, that was really fun. I look forward to y'all hearing it.
1: And I think that's it. Andrew, get are we us out Have given our full January schedule already? It's I already up it, there. Right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, over to podcast.com once again. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And until we talk to you next week, please try to be
0: happy. Why did you make that a surprise?
1: I just thought I would let people kind of marinate in it for a minute.
0: Sure.